You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Mira. I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by some amazing thought leaders to discuss the topic of creating high-performance teams within the Australian engineering industry. Before we get into the discussion, it would be great to meet our panelists. So Jaya, if you wouldn't mind kicking things off and introducing yourself. Sure thing. Um, Jaya, I'm a Senior Engineering Manager here at Zipco. Um, been here for five years now, and um, in, in that time, it's grown significantly and uh, progressed through, through my career in, in leadership um, and looking after a number of teams in the payment space. Um, I'm passionate about um, uh, building high-performing teams and delivering awesome products to our customers. And uh, yeah, that's that's me. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Jaya. And Will, if you'd like to go next. Hi. Yeah, my, my name's Will. I started off about seven years ago in a company then called Redify as a software engineer. And, and now I help uh, our engineering teams across New South Wales deliver for our customers as a part of a company called Telstra Purple. And we, we cover uh, software development data and design services particularly in my area and i'm i'm really passionate about understanding the kinds of environments that we need to create to make people effective in what they do great thanks so much will and yeah sim if you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your position sure so i'm sim i'm head of engineering for payroll at zero uh, I've been there for only six months. Prior to that, doing a variety of other engineering leadership roles at Woolies and News Corp. Prior to that, what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about bringing out the best in people, and particularly using those strengths to build amazing teams. And I find any and every opportunity where I can do that. <laughs> no, I love it. And yeah, thanks for that. And last but not least, Michael, if you'd like to introduce yourself as well. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm Michael Ewaltz. I'm the Director of Technology and Engineering for Contino APAC. Um, we're a professional service company. We kind of focus on um, digital transformations, um, but I have a difficult time describing my job. I think to sum it up, <laughs> I, I like to think myself as the custodian of having a, an engineering-led, uh, engineering-first culture. Because um, at the end of the day, we're a people business. So even though we're a professional service, it's all about the people. So high-performing teams is our business. Um, I, I, I guess what I'm passionate about is uh, making a difference. I spent a lot of times as a consultant myself and trying to hit win the hearts and minds of like those stakeholders around convincing why DevOps is a good thing, why software practice is a good thing, why cloud native is a way to go. Um, I'm still passionate about those things. Uh, and I still fight for those things and debate those things. Uh, I, I guess now is, I, I'll probably talk to people at a more senior level than I did before when I was consulting, um, but I guess that could be a whole other podcast in itself. So, <laughs> Amazing. Thanks, everyone, for the introductions. Now let's dive into our first question that was brought forward by Jaya, which is, how do you approach restructuring to form high-performing teams? I know this is something that you're dealing with at the moment, Jaya, so if you wouldn't mind giving us a little context around that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I guess there's, uh, we, we generally try to avoid significant changes to, uh, to teams and have long, uh, long-lived teams that um, build up their ways of working over time and become high-performing. Um, but there are times where we need to 
uh, restructure slightly. There might be um, external factors at play. We might um, be refocusing, re reprioritizing, um, and, uh, and we've you know, gone through a number of acquisitions, those kind of things. Um, so sometimes we need to merge, uh, merge teams or build a new team out of uh, existing people. Um, what would, what would uh, I guess, um, how would you approach that, that scenario? Yeah, Will, did you want to jump I mean, in there? I start by first appreciating how <laughs> delicate some of these ecosystems are that uh, our teams perform and, and that slight changes to them can have rather immense impact intentionally or otherwise. And so if you're talking about things like acquisitions and everything, Telstra Purple, if it's a company of acquisitions, uh, has huge, <laughs> huge impact. I think the first thing to think about is 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 what is it that makes a team high performing? I think that's a, a word that maybe means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And um, if you want to save a, a species, an endangered species, you look at its environment first. And for me, I think, and I will get to answering the question, but to start on that, <laughs> that point around high performing, to, to me, there are four really important things that I think about when I look at our teams to see if they're high performing. And the first one is its ability to navigate ambiguity. Right? We're, we're writing software here. We're gonna kind of figure things out as we go. We have to be able to tolerate um, things that we don't fully understand and, and create clarity from that. The second one is um, its ability to deliver on the work needed. I think this is pretty clear. Like, do they have the skills to do the job? Um, but also their willingness to upskill and learn new things um, or and take ownership of those technical challenges that they're they're facing. The third one is their ability to communicate both effectively inside itself and outside. So is this team able to actually articulate a challenge? Are they talking in a retrospective about, you know, really what, what are their challenges and then turning that into meaningful change? Um, and then lastly, I think it's about its ability to engage its stakeholders. So if they're really just laser focused on on the backlog and doing a great job, that's great. But that doesn't help us know if what we're building is a value to the organization and that comes through communications. So so as a first point, I guess I'm curious from the room on that. As far as the structure of a high performing team, maybe what does that look like to you in, in your spaces? I'm going to say that out of all those things you said, I totally agree. I no no concern about that. But I would say out of all that, if I was to pick one thing, it would be trust. There's mm. trust that I can give this team a problem to solve and they will come back to me with the result. And trust within the team that they can depend on each other to build that result. A high bandwidth communication system within the team knowing that they can be able to depend on each other to build those results. So when I think of high performing, there's like one word, and that's trust. <laughs> trust. Love all that. around. Yeah, Love I, it. I, I agree with that as well. I think, uh, like, you look at the five dysfunctions of the team, trust is the number one aspect of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, two things that came to mind is, one, Google did a study, like what makes a high performing team, like, like perform around all those aspects that you, you mentioned, Will. 
as well. And uh, the thing to about psychological safety, and I, I like that term as well as trust because it denotes a two-way scenario. So one is trust around the, the team's capability uh, that you provide them, but also too, the fact that when you do those retros and playback, that there's that, that they trust the leaders or they trust the, 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 the they can talk about outcomes to make sure like they get that they're going to meet those outcomes. And then I read this article around a software team. They they are looking at like high performing. That is, your to your point around because uh, in software like infrastructure engineers a bit different. Like there's networks, there's like like ports, and it's a bit it's a bit easier to deliver. But software can be ambiguous, especially the requirements are changing as well. So in South Korea, they just study like uh, how to get the best out of software team, and what they talked about was clarity of outcome. So, so, so what was that flag on the hill? So when teams were able to understand what the end result was and left their own devices, they actually developed like a, a competent piece of software much faster than teams that had to constantly get requirements as well. So, yeah, I think everything you said, Will, is spot on. I think there's actually some data points to, to lay that because ambiguity is the number one killer of any team, whether they're high performing or not. Thanks, Jaya. What about you, man? <laughs> yeah, thank you. This is great, great answers, and um, yeah, agree with all that. Uh, yeah, and on on top of that, trust that that uh, builds that autonomy within the team that they can, um, to your point, Michael, they can go and get those requirements, figure them out um, within the team, and deliver. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, having that psychological safety with it, and they can all work together. Um, they're they're able to uh, solve things as a team and. Um, deliver value to the, the business and the customers. It's um, really the, the purpose of the team, right? I think it'd be worthwhile right, thanks, revisiting <laughs> your question about yeah. restructuring. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, it's a, a tricky question, and restructuring is also like a sensitive term. And um, you know, we, we tend to uh, we don't want to make major changes like this. Um, but I guess yeah, the, it's a it's a tough tough question. But I think um, the starting off with what makes a high performing team is good. I'm going to have a quick comment and crack at that uh, before we carry on, because you need to understand the why of restructures first to really understand whether this is the right thing to do. There's a lot of social capital and investment that goes into bringing dynamics, particularly a high-performing team. So having that conversation early on about is this restructure necessary? And to Michael's point, is it aligned with our North Star? So if it's not aligned with our North Star, we need to have those tough conversations about are we willing to let go of all this social capital and investment that we've kind of put into these pods and, and teams? That's huge, Sim, and, and answering the question, why, why, why does this need to exist? And having that reason for being beyond uh, delivering X or X or Y. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that huge story that we want to be able to tell of, of connection to purpose. Is, is huge. And if you can't do that in talking about why are you structuring yourself this way? Like, well, I'm I'm putting all the all the reds here and the blues there. Well, that, that's not a great not a compelling story. <laughs> uh, we're here to make more revenue. OK, but let's let's get into that huge, huge point to it. Yeah, no. And, and Michael, did you have something to say about that sort of round restructuring the approach as well? Yeah, look, I think restructuring, you need to look at certain aspects around the, the different capabilities of squad. Look, it's not always just about technical skills. You need to look at personality types. Like, like in our organisation, we did these things called disprofiling, where you basically looked around, like, 
people are really results orientated versus really around accuracy and, and, and conservativeness versus supportive uh, versus influence. And having that right type of, it, it's a bit of an investment to do, but once you start getting team dynamics together and something we look at these particular reports where we get a bit of contention in the team, and because a lot of time when you get outcome, it's not, the, the technical part is easy. It's it's having people gel together to 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 create an environment around, again, psychological safety. And if you've got a few alphas in there and you've got some reserve people, uh, a lot of times retro, you're not going to get that diversity of thought coming through. So when you're putting thoughts around restructure, you need to look at not just tech capability, you need to look at the all the attributes of the team you're putting together to get like the, the attributes of the leader. Are they going to bring the right the, the right attributes out of the delivery team as well, the software engineering team? Uh, I think they're big considerations that sometimes get overlooked. A lot of time it, it goes into like margins and rates and oh, this person's too high billable rate or they're going to cost too much in this one. And they're not, they're not thinking around the outcome because I may be biased, but like the, <laughs> if you put the right team in, the revenue and delivery go, that, that will come. It's a byproduct of having the, the, the right team for the right outcome. And, and restructuring needs to look into that. Um, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Does anyone sort of have anything else to comment on that before we move on to Will's question? I, I you know, as I think about this and in, in, in our in our teams, we're constantly just creating them to go deliver for customers. Um, and in and in that, we have a, a specific way that we've gone about it that we found successful. But when Jai, when I when I hear you talking about it, the thing that that strikes me is I think about internally when we started trying to restructure ourselves. One thing that I think we did that was really good is we were open about it, saying, well, "Here is the problem or challenge we're trying to face today, and here's kind of what I'm thinking, but I'm really interested to hear." what ideas you might have. You get a whole lot of social credibility. There are a whole lot of smart people on your team that are going to be able to answer some of these questions along with you. And then as you start moving there, it's it's not a surprise. You know, a lot of people have, have been brought along the journey and it kind of forces you in leadership to be able to explain that story of why are we doing this? Um, and you don't then you don't have to come up with the answer and face that brunt of of concern around it. You can actually just walk on that journey together it's it's tough to do collaboration on that scale but man does it make a difference yeah i think there's some great answers yeah bringing people along with the journey getting their input um and uh, and and to mark's point as well um making sure that teams that the people actually fit well and gel well together and have the right um diversity within it yeah, yeah. definitely no i really like that point will that sort of openness um yeah and i guess awesome contributions so far everyone but and moving on to Will's question, um, which is really important as well. So the role juniors play within high-performing teams. Um, Will, did you want to start things off and get your thoughts on that? Yeah, a few weeks ago, um, we were we were having conversation around re restarting a bit of our grad program here, which had stopped over, over COVID. And my first thought while we were talking about this is, um, oh my gosh, you know, we, are, are people going to pay to bring someone in to, to learn something new, so to speak, or someone who's who's junior? And I thought, what's happened in my mind here? I've lost something a little bit along the way. And so if I take on a very 
maybe cynical hat for the purposes of conversation. If you think of a junior just purely around their ability to deliver and all the learning they need to do, that's a that's a draw on the on the time of the the team around them to deliver and and perform. And so I I, I I'm pitching it that way because I guess it's the question of what's the story that we want to tell people of why it's important to include people who are junior in a skill way into these high performing teams as 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 how it impacts their actual performance in a good way i'll have a go just because uh, yeah we we're actually undergoing similar discussions with um restarting the grad program as well um and uh yeah it's it's, it's definitely a good question um but yeah from from my point of view uh we we have had grads in the past that we've hired um, and they've gone on to become some of the most skilled engineers we've had and um, really uh, done some amazing things here. They've um, become like champions of the culture and subject matter experts in their area. They kind of bring that, um, bring a, a passion and uh, eagerness to learn to the team, which kind of helps with the culture within the teams. Um, and they, they also come with like some fresh ideas and um, new tech, like they're, they're coming out with like, they've, they've already um, learned kind of React or know all about React. and um, you know, at times where you know, your engineers might have only known Angular JS or something. Um, so they've kind of got the latest and um, greatest kind of knowledge. Um, but there is a lot of learning to do on the job. Uh, and then I think to that learning um, pathway that it's kind of uh, being trained up to replace this kind of senior engineers as they move on or uh, take up leadership roles or um, move on to new opportunities and take on more responsibility. Um, so I think there's quite uh, quite a lot of benefits to having those juniors within the team, um, but curious to hear uh, everyone else's thoughts. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I know you had something else to jump in as well. That's it. You see, you want to go first? I got I got a point, but it, it... <laughs> sure, sure, I'll go. Uh, so I think we need to change this uh, sentiment that juniors are a liability mm. when they're not. Mm-hmm. It goes two ways so yes we spend time training and uplifting a lot of these more junior people within the team but at the same time you have to understand the benefits that the rest of the team is getting out of this we went through a very similar um, initiative back at, at, at my previous role and there was a lot of pushback about getting interns and juniors on board and we kind of started slow like let's pilot this and, and see the outcomes are. So after a couple of months, I got some amazing feedback. Now, it was twofold. One, the intern themselves did an amazing job, kicking goals, delivering good work. But I also heard a lot of the more senior engineers in the team were learning all these coaching and mentoring skills at the same time. So yeah, they were learning how to coach more junior people within the team. And that just changed and shifted the whole team dynamic. Uh, and we also got to have the other, the other point I want to make is I'm pretty sure everyone here agrees that inclusion and diversity is such an important part of building high-performing teams. Race, gender, totally agree, but we also need to consider, consider seniority as well. I think there's a lot of more Millennials, now even, what's the next generation called coming in? Let's bring in all these new ideas uh, into our teams. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's just, um, yeah, we need to leverage a lot of that uh, potentially when it comes to high-performing teams. Yeah, Yeah, I I echo your remarks there, Sim. 
a saying I, I, I always tell our, our leads and as I try to get the mentor is the best way to learn is to teach. And if you can't, like, by you teaching you through your public speaking, your confidence to become as a leader as you grow, uh, what we've done is set up a series of dojos. And I want to put a different slant on this. Like, it's not just interns and grads. Uh, we, we can't hire Node.js developers for the life of us. They're just like market. So we're building them. So we're getting people like .NET, we're creating like specialised courses that they're not technically juniors, but they're new to this. So, and again, it's this culture around uh, that they might be new to cloud or new to a different type of language and we, we bring them up as well. But it's an investment. I'm with you. We, can, we It's not, we have a lot of people time we, we get a bit of resistance of putting these people onto new accounts to say, oh, the, the customers want to pay for people learning the job. They're not learning on the job. This is an investment. This is around building attrition. This is about building loyalty. This is about giving back. And it, it, it changes the cultural dynamic of, of the team, of, of the squad. And again, you want to build high-performing teams. You've got to bring the best out of people. And and in, I can tell you for a fact, we've got some of the, the, the most committed workers that we've come working out of these dojos that just give their all and they're just hungry to learn. And, and, that, and that pays dividends from the customer wins, we win as a, as, a, as a team as well, and that individual wins as well. Uh, I, I, I would love us to do more interns and grads as well. Like there's an investment cost, but you do it in, in waves and it's, it's well worth the, the effort. No, thanks guys. It's great hearing all your thoughts on how juniors can kind of bring something to the team and be involved in that culture. Um, I think as well, we've got another really super relevant question here from Sim, um, which he wanted to ask, which is as we shift away, um, as sorry, as we shift to distributed teams, have you changed your approach to nurturing and growing high performance teams? Um, so Sim, did you want to first elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. So, so since joining my most previous role, I actually don't have any engineers here locally based. They're all in Melbourne, Brisbane, New Zealand, UK, you, you name it, they're all over the place. And this is the first time I'm remotely leading a very, very large team. So I've had to rethink a lot of my approaches to not only connecting, but building high performing teams and particularly nurturing. So uh, one shift I had to make, just as an example, was bringing more bringing more clarity to one, the North Star, but then two, also the, the data and measurements we need to do to, to measure success for these teams as well. But I was curious from this bunch of people here, like what have you done? How have you changed uh, in terms of your leadership style as we move to remote work? Uh I, I love the first of all, I love the question, Sim. Um, <laughs> I, I think for me, one thing that was really evident, especially at the beginning, is we weren't just working from home. Everybody was home, right? It's, it's people with families working from home, people who aren't able to visit their parents, you know, at a really stressful time. All of a sudden, um, a lot of people actually didn't have a, a space at home that really worked as an office or weren't able to because of the size of them or the fact that they've got kids running around to take care of. And to your point around nurturing, I think um, the first thing 
that, that happened to me of just calling in and checking in on people is is building this awareness that there, there's there's no point in in focusing on the backlog or sort of this thing right now. We need to start looking at a a little bit of wellness at the beginning. And we always I think talk about this and think about it in a work environment. But man, did it hit me different, um, especially during COVID. And I found from that is is one isolation seems to be the root of all perspective loss. You mentioned around a guiding North Star, and I, I found a vast majority of people put way more stress on themselves than we ever get from other people. And if you're um, all alone uh, visually, the perspective starts to get a bit warped a little bit and 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 then they project it outwards. So there's just a lot more stress and anxiety. And I had to really think about how can I help people maintain perspective, maybe zoom out for a moment to help them just be able to, to work where they can or acknowledge that maybe right now they need a little bit of time to step away. And that 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 was one that just punched me right in the face. Uh, and I think for me, the second one that I'll add is engagement of of what can we do to to pull people in because um, scheduling a, a meeting, you know, we're going to catch up for an hour, really uncomfortable, not the way to do that. And we had to start experimenting with different ways to build meaningful connection between people. So, so perspective and engagement, I think were two things for me that really flew at me right away when it came to, especially that nurturing part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to add on that, I think um, a lot of people thought that. Once we started remote working, working from home, ah, we've finally achieved flexibility. That's not flexibility. Flexibility is, and, and this is the big push. Like, like I know for myself personally, and then a lot of my um, the, the people working for me that uh, they had to share in like, drop, school drop-offs and pickups. It, it became a shared responsibility. So, actually having true flexibility and not man. One thing I was making sure to push around the, the message is. Uh, if you need that time, you block that calendar time out and you let the team know that during this time, that's your time to do things. And very much to will, like, giving people the time. We had some people that like had some some really, they were distressed. Like they were watching the news and, and especially the people in Melbourne, like they were down for so long, they couldn't leave five kilometres from home. They suffered a lot. We had some real problems. So giving people... I. I think not just myself, other leaders, but we had to actively send the message that it's okay to have time for yourself. It's okay to structure your day a little bit. We're not hiring you to be a bum on seat between nine to five where, it, where, where you're there to have some outcomes as long as you achieve the outcomes, but giving people the permission and, th and this will be ongoing. And I think as organizations still struggle, I, I was at a conference uh, like uh, early in the morning uh, and I was listening to them and it, now that COVID is lifting, a lot of organisations, they're grappling, they're, they're trying to mandate people back in the office as a way to bring this bonding. And that's not going to work because some people now, it's been two years, they've restructured their lives, like they can't mandate it. So so again, it's it's causing stress on some individuals. And my my plea to everyone is, is that use some common sense and some people can work autonomously at home. Some people love the social being, let them come in the office. But uh, I think what we need to do is in these uncertain times to still give people the peace of mind uh, that as a, if you're a leader, give them support, give, give, give the content around to, to work in distributed teams. Because that way, because we software engineers, they just want to deliver. They just want to do the job. They, they don't have to worry about like 
is is my manager watching me? Like, do I need to, that's just an extra stress that they don't need, and, and and we shouldn't put that upon them as well. So a bit of a pedestal there. To, something I'm very passionate about. Uh, yeah, no, I won't go into a lot. I'll, I'll, <laughs> if we're coming in, I'll tell you so. I'll add on there. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And um, yeah, the the one I guess good thing that's come out of all this is it's kind of forced that true kind of flexibility of like, um, you know, uh, more and more companies are allowing those people. Uh, you know, take the take the time to do the school drop-offs. Um, take uh, work the hours that suit you, um, and you, you literally can't watch people, <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, what's the what's the work? Not the people, not the bums on the seats. Um, and uh, and I think um, it's been been good for that. So yeah, just encouraging that flexibility. Um, work whatever hours suit you. Um, and I guess in building the kind of bonds, you can uh, you still do like the one-on-ones with um, the video chats, and, and you get you still get good bonding out of that. It doesn't have to be that kind of in-person, um, which, which you know some sometimes is impossible. Um, and I think uh, yeah, it's uh, just more uh, millennials-style communication, you know, the instant messaging, Slack, and Teams. Uh, nobody uses email anymore. <laughs> and uh, just uh, yeah, adopt, adopt those kind of ways of working, and you can still uh, get that shared sense of purpose. And um, and uh, it's, uh, you touched on something really important, I think, right there at the end around <laughs> uh, Teams and and Slack. And I want to reframe it as as how important asynchronous communication yeah. becomes if we want to be flexible, <laughs> and how actually wonderful that can be when when done really well uh, in in being transparent in either what you're working on, um, you know, sharing meeting notes or something. If people who weren't there can see it and, and get context. That's that's really huge. Um, but it does take some effort. And I've seen some companies just sort of just schedule a bunch of meetings and then they're trying to replicate the office outside of remote work. And the whole point of remote work is that it is not like the office. And uh, that, it certainly <laughs> takes true. some efforts to sort of embrace this placeless mindset. Oh, by the way, I have also seen an overuse of Slack, uh, and it can be counterproductive. <laughs> so it definitely has well. to be yeah. balanced. Yeah, you mute them. You mute them. That's not. There's a certain yeah, point. It's, it's like let's just have a phone call and sort this out. This is going to take us three yeah. hours or two, five minutes. <laughs> Yeah. It's all about achieving that balance, and uh, yeah, the, the team seem to to do quite well within their own Slack channels. And um, and then you know when when <laughs> the conversation gets uh, too much, they go, hey, let's just have a quick huddle. And um, yeah, just getting the right balance there, uh, something that's good. Yeah. Great yeah. answers. I was just going to say, just to wrap up, I I heard it or read an interesting stat the other day. Since since people have started working from home, managers have actually made sure that they're doing their one-on-ones. In fact, they're doing 30, 40% more um, than what they, they used to. So it's funny how everyone's got this perception that you're a bit more disconnected when you're remote, when in fact, people are actually making more time for you as well. Yeah, really interesting point. Does anyone yeah. have anything else to add before we move on to the last question? I just, just agree completely, Sim. I think the one-on-ones become even even more important and uh, yeah, just getting, getting more of a focus on those and... Um, Really important. Yeah, thanks so much, everyone. And I guess finally for our last question on the podcast today, um, which I think ties in very nicely 
to end it all off, Michael has a question, um, which is sort of surrounding what's the best way to achieve effective decentralized management, which I know you're super passionate about, Michael. So I'll let you add some context to that first. Yeah, look, I'm a big believer of pushing, pushing decision rights down to where the information is, right? So you, you spend all this effort, like interviewing candidates, find the right candidates, you need to trust them. But in order to trust them and, and to do the right thing, and it's kind of what we touched on in the beginning is is around, I, I believe, like the right OKRs or that, 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 that flag on the hill or North Star as well. Um, if you want to bring the best, you've got to give them some guardrails and then allow them to, 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 to flourish and, and be the high performers that they are. Um, I'm a big believer, again, that, you know, the whole Dan Pink thing around what people want is mastery, uh, autonomy and purpose uh, in, in their role. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of keen to hear how you go about in your organisations around establishing that so that these high performers, let them be leaders in their own te technical right to, to deliver what you need them to do. Yeah, I, 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 I um, so yeah, I, I, I agree completely that um, having those objectives, setting those objectives and letting the team be autonomous and um, uh, is, is the best way to, uh, I think it's the best way to motivate them firstly uh, and uh, and um, let them let them deliver, let them be creative and come up with the, the how, how they're going to solve that um, problem or how they're going to achieve that objective. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it, it comes down to the trust, like you said, um, building that trust with the stakeholders, uh, slowly giving them more responsibility over time um, and letting them learn through a little bit of failure and um, making sure, I guess, yeah, you have just some high-level guardrails, like we, we need to achieve this, um, and this yeah, and then this, these are our recommendations, and then letting, letting them go from there. Yeah, definitely. And Sam, do you have anything to kind of comment on that as well? Yeah, I've got a lot of opinions on this. I'm just trying to, <laughs> <laughs> just trying to get it all pull together. It down to, uh, but I will start with saying I don't think there's any organisation that I've ever been in has that has done this perfectly. Um, mm. And there's always, uh, yeah, a bit of a mishmash between autonomy versus control. And, and I think we we can all kind of realise that. But we all do our best to give as much autonomy as possible. So. Totally agree with the North Star, but it's all about how does that cascade down to the teams. And we all know OKRs are key to doing that. So if you're doing really well, as according to John Doerr in, in Measure What Matters, uh, your key results become the objectives for the teams uh, uh, that, that report to you. However, I have rarely seen that done very well. And to make that very effective is needs that bi-directional communication between the leadership and the team. So the leadership being quite clear on what we've got to achieve and the team being able to have the autonomy to say, what do we need to do to achieve that result? Um, the other part of this is around decentralised management is when you get too decentralised, it can also be chaotic and a problem. So going back to the north star if you've got north stars coming in all different directions whether it's your technology or your product or you've got another one um you you put their teams into this high stress mode of trying to figure out what's the right things to do 
So it's upon us as leaders to make sure that we're having conversations at that level to align and go, actually, you know, this is the one mission that we've got to focus on and let's alleviate that, that stress from, from the team. Reminds me of sort of a colleague who called himself the chief reminding officer, just going around reminding people, <laughs> hey, everybody, this is this is what we're trying to do. This is where we're focusing. I, I think, um, Sim, I really resonate with a lot of what you're saying and, and, and true that I don't think I've ever been anywhere that's nailed this. And it certainly looks different in different organizations. Um, what I've I've found important recently is 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 really around purpose and being intentional about that as as well. Um, and I, I think there are a few ways to do it. But for me, it's when it comes to that decentralized management. Um, I, I think of as I I, I can't manage uh, people. I can only lead them. I can only try to provide direction, um, give them information, and try to influence them towards some particular outcome. And um, one thing that I, I found helpful is getting really good at trying to disseminate information in a meaningful way and contextualize it to people. So trying to share um, exactly what we're thinking about where we're focusing as best we can, because we employ smart people. Like if, if they're seeing the same information as us and, and contextualize in the right way, they are gonna likely come to similar conclusions. Um, the other thing that's important, I think, is there, there, there's sort of four stories, four kinds of stories that we need to get really good at telling um, to give people a sense of purpose and direction. And I think those are the who we are stories. This is what our organization is. This is this is why we exist. This is what we want to do. And then we've got those those vision stories of what that future we desire, that North Star. Um, we've got our values in action stories of here's how our espoused values that we say are important to us show up in our organization. Um, and then we've got those changing and learning stories of here's the time we tried something and we learned something from it. And and if you can get good at those and, and connect those to that that North Star Sim that you mentioned, I, I think a lot of people start to, to resonate and feel purpose at, without giving them immense do this to that direction um, to kind of get a sense of where they're trying to go and why it matters. Um, that's that's really tough to do. <laughs> it's tough to do and you have to keep doing it over and over. But I think if you get that inspiration from those stories, it's it's really powerful. More than any key metric can really drive. Um, certainly for me, we've we've got we've had really good key metrics in the past, but it doesn't doesn't really inspire me. It's more just the challenge perhaps and feeling good about completing it. Um, and there's something about, uh, especially now in remote work, if we can build that connection where we can speak to everybody individually through a camera, um, that we can connect on that. Yeah. 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 What's your final thoughts on that, Michael? Yeah, no, valid points. <laughs> I asked that because it's hard. And ever I've worked, we've tried ACARs and failed. And uh, this year, I, I had we had company goals, and I, I did an experiment. It took, it took a year to do it was last year uh, and 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 will you spot on I, I used values as an alignment for performance of like of, of staff but put some metrics and I had a cascading from uh, company goals to my KPIs to our community of practice objectives to yeah, individual awesome. OKRs and I had some bad metrics 
at the beginning of the year. And the uh, rest of my leisure team didn't think I was going to, like, go. it was like a, a 58% to an 85%. That was the goal. And that, we signed off on it, but, like, no one thought I did it. And I got to, like, 83%. I, I really shipped around. But that was really around tying values and uh, a sense of leading, mentoring. I, I put these cultural things as a way to drive uh, like upskilling and mentoring, which, which ultimately drove these key metrics and these OKRs. But we, I had to revisit them with like my leadership team, make sure they did with their reports as well on a regular basis. And it, and it was what was difficult was what makes it really hard. And this is what people forget about OKRs. It's not a yearly thing. Like every quarter, the dynamics of your organization and what's important and priorities will shift. And you always got to be, you want to get here and you've got to go this way and then this way and then this <laughs> way. It takes a lot of effort. Um, but by the end of it, it, it was, I, I basically developed a, a team of leaders at the end of it by doing that. So it is hard. Uh, but again, uh, there's a few things where I'm, a, I'm now a believer that OKRs is the way sorry, continual review of OKRs is the way in order for you to actually make effectual leaders, which builds high-performing teams because then you don't have a bottleneck. Yeah. Okay, hand up. <laughs> so <laughs> I agree OKRs is still a great way. I spoke about that earlier. But what is key is consistency. Yeah. So whatever framework you decide to choose, whether it's goal signal metrics, whether it's OKRs, it's all about consistency. So the reason for that is because no one ever gets it right the first time. Yeah. It, it, it can take quarters, if not years to years, to, to get it right. And it requires refinement. So once you pick one, stick to it and get better at it. That's what I say. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, agree with that. Uh, I, I guess I picked that because I was familiar with it. And you're right, there's different ways of doing it. Uh, and, and it's tough because you do this in, and again, I think we talked earlier, like someone's going to manage sideways and you'll have a different leader that will have a different view and you have to you have to guard your, your, your rail, your guardrails. It, it is difficult, yeah. Thanks everyone for the awesome contributions. We'll leave it there for now, but I want to thank Jaya, Will, Sim and Michael for joining me on the podcast today and providing such interesting insights, which surround such a relevant topic for today's senior managers on building high performance teams. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time on the installment of the Evolution Exchange.